Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of God today. You know, one of the things that happens when I come to churches, and I have been in hundreds of churches in different places all over the world, all over the, the uh, Spanish and Portuguese-speaking world, the English-speaking world, is that when you come into a church, usually in the Western world, they're more intellectual than they are spiritual. And they read the Bible with their intellect, not by the spirit. And, you know, one of the reasons that I get along with your pastor, Pastor Dave Chisholm, is that we've had similar shared experiences. One of them was in 1973, God took me to hell. And uh, I don't have time to talk about it today, but trust me, you don't want to have anything to do with hell. And I've seen heaven a couple of times, and I've seen Jesus a couple of times, and angels. And, but what that does, it gives you a reality in the spirit. Somebody say, a reality, reality. In, the in the spirit. A reality, reality. In, the spirit. in the spirit. And most Western Christians, especially Americans, they hear the gospel through filters. It's like it's, there's a dullness about how they hear the gospel. It's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus was this, and, you know, yeah, there's a heaven, there's a hell, but it's far away. It's not something that's pressed on them because our culture and our society in this time have limited the reality of the kingdom message, especially in the spirit. And so if Jesus was to come to a church and be in disguise, the majority of the Western church would reject their founder. They wouldn't like his message. Everything we know about hell, we know from Jesus. The Old Testament had a version of it, but Jesus brought it into perspective. He's God in the flesh. Everybody say, Jesus, Jesus. is God in the flesh. And so I want you to say this. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Shrek, but they have this village of like cartoon character people and you know he talks about a land far away everybody say far away <laughs> go on use your falsetto say the the kingdom is far away <laughs> and so when you come into church you hear these sermons and you, you hear them being taught but the reality of where I'm face to face with an angel, I'm face to face with the reality of that scripture is. And when somebody comes with a fresh experience or a perspective, it's hard for you to say, man, that's that's really right. But when Jesus comes and visits you and have experiences that are really, really heavenly experiences, and you read the scriptures, it's not like you're reading something that's. It's like it's right here. This is like today's news. And so I pray that the light of heaven would come upon you today. All right. John chapter 17, verse four said, as Jesus has given his summary to the father about the 12. The whole reason Jesus came was to die on the cross 
and the training of the 12. Somebody say the training of the 12. A little bit louder. A little bit louder. And so Jesus said, I finished the work. God gave him 12 specific people as a prototype. A prototype is that we can see what happened and then we reproduce it or we replicate it. The whole reason Jesus came was to train the 12. Listen very carefully. He only healed enough people to train the 12. He only cast out enough demons to train the 12. He only spoke enough sermons to train the 12. Now, of course, we have the written scriptures. We need that. But he had a limited time of assignment and the entire kingdom rested after he died on these 11 people. One was a, a traitor. And so here we are 2,000 years in the future. We've got the, the scriptures canonized. We've got an Old Testament, New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament that the Spirit of God made illuminated for them. And God rested all the future on these 11 people. Let's read it. John chapter 17, verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And so every time God gets a new born again Christian on the earth, there's a work that starts in you. Most Christians are not conscious of the work that he's doing in them. They just go to church. They, they, they attend a service. They think that's enough. But disciples are mentioned 279 times in the scriptures. And so are, are you becoming a disciple? Are you just a church member? Are you conscious that God is actively trying to make you a disciple of the kingdom of God, not a member of a church? Now, church membership and fellowship and connection, we need that. We just inaugurated or ordained a, a pastor who wants to come and join our fellowship and he likes his flavor, he likes his method, he likes the relationship, which everybody needs. But really, he's trying to live out his connection to the kingdom in a local situation. And so you gotta realize that God is gonna have a day of accounting for what he's trying to do inside of you. Somebody say, two judgments in the kingdom. Come on, say, two judgments in the kingdom. Now, most of you in this room, you bypassed the first judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. Immediately after you die, you're going to stand before the judge and you're going to see if your name is in the book of life. Is your name and are your sins covered by the blood of Jesus? I don't care if you've been to church, walked the altars. It, it, you got to finish like you start. Somebody say you got to finish like you start. And he's going to see if your name is in the book of life. Then after that, there's going to be another judgment called the judgment seat of the lamb. That's for Christians. See, the second judgment is for Christians. And what God does, and we talked about it on Wednesday in Psalm 139, there's a book of your life. There's a pre-written book of your life. It's not predestination. 
It's predetermination. God is saying, this is what you were made for. It's your potential. It's what I've called you to be. And he's going to take the life you lived and he's going to look at what you could have done and should have done. And he's going to see if they, they harmonize. And many of you are going to get whole chapters ripped out of your book because you were just unconscious for that decade. You know, you just came to church. You were a church potato. You're just here. You know, how fast can I get out of here? Is anybody hear what I'm saying? And God's going to measure you. Were you a disciple? There's going to be a measurement. Were you a disciple? He's going to say, did you do disciple stuff? Did you have disciple sacrifice? Now, when you read the Gospels and when you read the epistles, you've got to realize that God is doing an active work. Matter of fact, when you read the epistles, the book of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Galatia, all of those places were in Asia Minor. And if you go there now, there are no strong churches, if, if at all they're underground, because a generation stopped being disciples. They just started being church members and audience members. Matter of fact, Brian has gone there and they got this whole underground church thing going with, you know, people from other nations in there. And when you go there, it's, it's Muslim, it's, it's antichrist. The next generation has to be dependent on this generation. And here's the question I have to ask you. Are you becoming a disciple? Well, Kevin, God, man, he just freaks me out. He's just too intense. Am I more intense than Jesus? Am I more intense than John the Baptist? Am I more intense than Elijah? No. No. And I'm not going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. He's going to say, well, Kevin, you were just way too intense. You're dealing with life and death issues. You're dealing with things that are going to determine the life and death of generations of families. And so today I want you to understand that the eyes of the Lord are watching you and saying, will you become my disciple? I don't know how many were here last night. I highly encourage you to watch that service. But we sang that song about being under lordship. Lordship is where everything starts, not church attendance, not singing songs in worship, not feeling his presence, but you make a decision. I want to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ to be shaped to be a disciple. And so as a disciple, there is a work that you've been assigned to do. There is something that God has assigned you. And you hear this word about the anointing. Matter of fact, I was with one of my drivers, my young drivers. He's probably 18, 19. I said, well, do you have any questions? Somebody say disciples ask questions. Disciples ask kingdom questions. And he asked me about the anointing and so on and so forth. I said, the anointing is God's empowerment to fulfill your life assignment. You can't transfer an anointing from one person to another unless there's a similar assignment like Elijah and Elisha. Last week, I had a guy call me up and he said, hey, Kevin, I, you know, you have impacted my life. You know, you cast demons out of my wife. I feel God moving in my life. And he says, well, will you let me be like an Elisha to your Elijah? I said, no. You don't have my same assignment. I tell you what, how about this? I'll be Kevin, you be Edwin. We'll, we'll start off like that. 
Don't make me something in the Old Testament that, that you're trying to use a, as a principle or a pattern. So today, God is telling you, I'm putting great pressure on you to shape yourself and be allowed to be shaped to be a disciple to extend this thing to another generation. We got lots of believers, but few disciples. We got lots of believers, but few disciples. And here's how you know you're a disciple. I could put somebody who's a pagan or a baby Christian around you for six or seven weeks and come back later and they've changed. They've matured. They've grown. You know, years ago, my teenage daughter's very attractive girl only had one daughter. And when she was like, I'm going to say 15-ish, 16, she was in a Christian school, but she wanted to go to a secular school. And she said, Daddy, they don't have you know, theater and the arts in the Christian school. They had limited resources. And she says, can I go to the secular school? And I knew that, you know, she was a very attractive girl physically, bubbly, you know, just she was what a lot of guys would want to chase after. And I said, well, let me check on that. Hold on a second. Let me go pray. And I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, my daughter wants to go to a secular school. What do you say? And he asked me a question. Who will influence who? See, God gives you access to different things based on your ability to influence that situation. And I'm not going to let you go someplace where you're going to be more influenced by them than you influence them. Will you be the salt there? Will you be the light there? Will you be the leaven there? Will you change that environment because you're a kingdom disciple? And let me just say this. The American culture has converted the church. You don't find any positive role models on broadcast television, cable television about men, not Christian men, just men. The men are always beat up by their wives, made fun of by their children. You know, you just go, what, what can a guy do? And the entire kingdom is patriarchal, not matriarchal. We say, some of the women are saying, well, no man's going to take advantage. And listen, you can't change God's design. You can make a wonderful woman, but a horrible husband. You make a wonderful lady, but a horrible man. And so when God starts coming, he starts realigning the families and the roles of who is what and what is this. And we want to take our culture and say, this is how it is. And God said, no, 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 you don't break my design. My design breaks you. And we're seeing that meltdown in America. And so everybody that I know, both political parties and all the independents are all mad about what's happening to America right now. But the problem is, the further that we get from the kingdom model of how to live, we get the benefits and the curses that come with anti-kingdom living. Now, you can't change Washington, but you can change Parkersburg. You can become a model of the kingdom here. And I'm going to talk like this is the only church in Parkersburg doing the will of God. I know it's not. But if I don't have this aggressive thing towards you, that God has chosen you 
to be kingdom disciples. Close your eyes. Ask the Lord, am I a kingdom disciple? Not between you and the pastor, not between you and Kevin. You ask the Lord, am I a kingdom disciple? Am I a kingdom? Now you do that yourself. Kingdom disciples read their Bibles as daily bread. Kingdom disciples share their faith with the lost. Kingdom disciples work in unity in the local church. Kingdom disciples have disciples. Are you a kingdom disciple? You're not a kingdom disciple until you're doing what kingdom disciples do. You're not a man till you do what a man does. You're not a woman till you do what a woman does. Are you a kingdom disciple? Now, listen to me. If you don't feel anything from the Lord speaking to you, that's probably because you're not. But you can be. But you can be. Come on, I want you to raise your hands and say, Holy Spirit, have disciple-making conversations with me. Come on, say it again. You're talking to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the God is the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Have disciple making conversations with me. In John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29, I want you to turn to John 6, 28, 29. They asked Jesus a question. They said, what shall we do that we may do the works of God. What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who was sent. What is the work of God? That you believe in him that was sent. And so what you have to understand is that as God works inside of you, just like you go to a school system, to learn something, you go to college to learn a skill, you get the basis of what that job is, that, that understanding of what that assignment is or that job description is. And when you get on the job, all your schooling is brought to remembrance. All your schooling, they start telling you, now you learned this in school and this is how you apply it on this job. Same thing with the Lord. When you're in these settings and you're in these conversations, God says, You're going to need this. I'm going to begin to bring this back to your remembrance. John chapter 14, verse 26. John 14, 26. Now, Jesus is giving his summation to the disciples in the book of John. He's about to be crucified, and he's about to be glorified, and he's about to be resurrected into heaven. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Somebody said the Holy Spirit's job is to bring to my remembrance everything I learned in the church. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring to my remembrance all the things I learned in personal discipleship. And so when I say something about the culture, you automatically have remembrances. Like we had to take like 10 or 12 minutes 
to explain to this congregation somebody had a tongue and an interpretation. Many people have never heard that. They have no reference points. Other people, oh yeah, I read about that in the Bible, but I've never seen it. Other people, it's a common occurrence. But you had to say to this modern generation, okay, this, it is in the Bible. This is how it works. This is not crazy stuff. This is Bible stuff. Say, this is not crazy stuff. This is Bible stuff. So in the next several months, God is going to talk to you like your disciples. How many want that to happen? I would be concerned if I had a 19-year-old child that couldn't tie his shoes. I'd be concerned. I would be absolutely just concerned that I had a child that was 19 that couldn't read. I would be so concerned that I had a 19-year-old child, I couldn't turn loose at Walmart to pick and identify things and come back home and bring me what the grocery list. I would be absolutely just, man, something's failed. That's how God feels. That's how God feels. Because God has an assignment. Man, I feel the Spirit of God. God has an assignment for every single. Your job is not to sit in these chairs and just listen to somebody talk about their walk with God. Your job is to get reference points about what's in the Bible. I've seen it. I've heard it. And now when God moves on you, and I feel him. And you had the same thing that David had when he saw Goliath. It was brought to his remembrance. Somebody say, it was brought to his remembrance. So to remind you, David was 14 years old and a prophet named Samuel came and anointed him. And he says, you're going to be the king. You're going to be a warrior king. And so David sees Goliath and you hear his inner thoughts. When he sees Goliath, he says, that I feel the same. Somebody say, I feel the same. I feel the same as when I saw the lion taking a lamb from my father's flock. Something got on me and I got that lion, chased it down, delivered the lamb and killed the lion. Then there was a bear. All these things should have taken David out or he shouldn't have been involved with it. He said, I feel that same feeling is when I saw that bear. So he's had those remembrances. He's had those supernatural experience remembrances. And then when he saw Goliath, Goliath is nine foot tall. David's probably about the size of Pastor David here. No, no. They have, if you go to Israel, the doorways are like made for people that were five, two, five, five. Europe's the same way. And he said, I saw this nine foot guy. But what happened? He remembered. I remember the same way I felt when I killed the lion. I remembered the same way I felt when I killed the bear. Now, Goliath, I feel that same thing again. See, when you see the gospel demonstrated in front of you, when you get to your situation, I, I feel the same thing I felt when Pastor David was prophesying. I feel the same way when Pastor Bryant laid hands on me for healing. The Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance. 
And the equipping is that I have these reference points inside of me. Now, I want you to, I'm going to do a quick test of the culture. If I see golden arches, what does that mean? Ah, coca. How many got this? Cheese. See, that's what God wants in your head. That when the spirit comes down, you have enough understanding of the word and demonstration that he can activate you by yourself because he can bring it to your remembrance. Come on, say, train me as a disciple. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one, down to verse three. See, if you understand what you don't have, you'll pursue it. I know what I don't have. Most of the American church, they don't know what they don't know. They're just dumb as a box of hammers. You know, hammers are tools. They just don't know what to do with them. But if I know what I don't know, now I'm in pursuit. All right. Now, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, which is very similar to the American culture. They were the top of the food chain. Even the Romans wanted to be like the, the Greeks culturally. So look what he says. Now, listen to me very carefully. There are no chapters and verses in the original manuscripts. So if you read a verse, you got to read what came before and what came after to get context. Everybody say context. Content, connection, conclusion. Context, content, connection, conclusion. So we're going to go back and see what he said in chapter 2 just a little bit, but watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, down to verse 3. You know, I was driving, was it, what's the guy's, no, it was my driver. Was it Brandon or Braden? So Braden is driving, stand up, Braden, so they can see who you are. You know, yeah. Are you single, Braden? Are you, you're, oh, you're dating. Oh, and I, is this the girl next to you? Oh, you got off-limit signs on, on Braden, huh? He's mine. My precious. And so... Braden is driving me, and he's, he says, uh, uh, Prophet Kevin, he said, he said, do you have to change your message for Sunday morning people? I said, yeah, I got to take it. I got to take meat and put it in a blender. I got I to blend it. Because if you don't have a reference point, because you really don't know the scriptures, people say, well, church is boring. No, church is not boring. You're boring. Well, church don't make any sense. No, church don't make sense because you have no sense inside of you to make sense of what we say. You can't make those connection things. Anybody ever seen these little kids when they're like three years old and they give them a coloring book and they get one page, all it is is numbers. And so they got to take the one connected to the two and they got to go to 100 and you'll hear them. It's a rabbit. They'll connect the one to the two. You ought to have that same revelation when your pastor puts scripts together. You go like, ah, then it's fun. But if you don't have anything inside of you to connect, church is supposed to be boring. Church is supposed to be boring for non-Bible readers. 
I don't understand. I don't like church. I'd rather watch football. But you understand football. You understand the rules of the game. That's why you get excited. The score is 27 to 27. Two minutes left in the game. And the little guy comes out and kicks a ball through the uprights. And you scream and cheer and grab. And you got your jersey on. Why? You understand the reference points for football. Yet we bring you to church. And we try to give you the anointing. We try to give you the power. But you have no reference points. And it's boring. And so what happens, rather than institute Bible reading and telling people you got to learn this, we've done, we've dumbed the gospel down for Forrest Gump. We got Forrest Gump disciples. I don't know how God's going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to the box of chocolate gospel. Never know what you're going to get. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? So they've dumbed the whole church down and they've made it first grade church and they use all the secular things to try to get people engaged and interested rather than say, hey, learn the Bible and then the Bible will become exciting. God is being held hostage by your ignorance. The Holy Spirit is being held hostage by your ignorance if you don't read. Now, not everybody here is like that, but there's a generation, they don't read the Bible. Now watch this, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal people, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it, and even now you're not still able, for you are still carnal. The word carnal means animal nature. You still live by your five senses. You still live in the church world by your five senses rather than live by the supernatural understanding of the spirit. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal behaving like mere men? Now, let me just say this. You had a large exodus from this church uh, last year. I'm not taking sides. I don't know all the nuances, but I will tell you from the position of being a spiritual person, the flesh always fights you when you bring a spiritual word to them. And don't take all that. That's unreasonable. Somebody say, that's unreasonable. Come on, baby. Say, that's unreasonable. You don't take all that. And they're going to fight you in the church so we can make it more user-friendly and entertainment-driven. And I don't want to feel the conviction of God. And I don't like these scriptures. Just tell me all the good news. God loves me. Got a wonderful plan. And no matter what I've done and how I live, I get the same outcome. You kingdom socialist. Doesn't make any difference how you live, you get the same benefits. Preach on favor. Favor! God wants to give everybody favor. Fornicator, you get favor. Masturbator, you get favor. Adulterer, favor, favor, favor for you. Oh no, it don't work that way. But if I tell you that's how God does things and there's no correction, 
you're going to sit here dumb as a box of cheese and miss what God has for your generation and your children will reject the God that you think is so wonderful because they have no reference points. Come on, raise this. The Holy Spirit, move me from milk to meat. Take me from milk to meat. Now, this is the chapter before he said, I couldn't talk to you like regular Christians. I couldn't say the things I wanted to say because you have no reference points inside of you. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 12, then verse 14. I'm reading from the Passion Bible. Listen to me very carefully. In chapter two, he says that God has things he wants to show you by the spirit. Things you've never seen, you've never heard, you've never known. And that's not heaven, it's for now. Somebody say two crosses in the kingdom. Say two crosses in the kingdom. The first cross is the one that Jesus dies on that takes us to heaven. The second cross is the one the disciple lives on that brings heaven to earth. The church is just as heavenly as the disciples are spiritual. The church is just as heavenly as disciples are spiritual. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 12, down to verse 14. For we did not receive the spirit of the world system, but the spirit of God. So we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. And we articulate these realities with the words imparted by the Holy Spirit, not with the words taught by human wisdom. We join together spirit-revealed truth with spirit-revealed words. Look at verse 14. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's spirit, for they make no sense to him. We can't understand the revelations of the spirit because they are only discovered by the illumination of the spirit. And then we go into chapter three. So I could not talk to you like I wanted to talk to you because you're carnal. You don't know the Bible. They didn't know this Old Testament history. And he said, I I'm trying to get you guys so you can understand how God can bless you and work with you. But because you only think like natural men, you miss the spirit. Now, God loves you, but he really can't use you. Now, turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Now, this is the setup because God is coming to visit to make you disciples. God is coming to make you his disciples. The book of Galatians, they say, was one of Paul's first letters. It's designed to take you from law to life, from principles to prophecy, from legalism to the glory of God. So that's what he was after. So in chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives inside of me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to read from the Passion Version. Galatians 2, 20. My old identity has been crucified with the Messiah and no longer lives for the nails of his cross crucified me with him, and now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. I want to repeat it. The anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one, 
my new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much he gave himself up for me and dispenses his life into mine. Somebody say, two people living in the same body. Two people living in the same body. Jesus is alive in you. When you get born again, you get a full-grown Jesus. You're the baby. Jesus doesn't grow anymore inside of you. You don't get any more of Jesus the day that you've been saved 50 years than the day you got first born again. How many understand that? You just get Jesus. You get the latest version. There are no more new versions. You got the ultimate. You got it. The problem is you don't understand the Jesus that is inside of you. So he wants to work through you and prophesy through you and heal through you. And so because you don't have any reference points about what God wants to do, you think that there's nothing there. It's boring. And on the day that you get measured by Christ, he's going to say, I put a full grown Jesus inside of you, but you wouldn't read your Bible. You wouldn't be instructed. You wouldn't take correction. You wouldn't discipline yourself. You wouldn't let me put reference points inside of you. So you got to work in union together. And so you spent 30, 40, 50 years just going to church and basically living like the rest of the world when you had the supernatural secret inside of you, but you had no reference points. So here's what God's plan is. Jesus dies and goes to heaven. He's on the throne of God. Now he expects us in the spirit of God to direct you, to correct you, to lead you based on the reference points you have inside of you. And the greatest thing that could happen is for you to read the New Testament a couple of times and say, Lord, I want those reference points. I want them alive. So when the spirit of God speaks to you, there's reference points. There's reference points of the patriarchs about their life, about the principles that are in the scriptures, old and new, and also the prophetic words that God tells you. This is how God works. So basically, we come to church, we sing to the Lord, but when you leave this building, if you have no reference points, you're disconnected from the reality of the Holy Spirit moving inside of you. You know, there's instances where people have to uh, land a plane because the pilot gets incapacitated. Somebody say, ground school, flight school. Ground school, flight school. Well, I've never been to either one of those, but I understand that ground school, you learn all the nomenclature of the plane, what this thing means and what that means and what this dial means, and you learn the theory of flight. You learn the mechanics or the nomenclature of all the things in the cockpit. So that when the, the training pilot takes you up, he can say, look at your altimeter, look at this. And he doesn't have to reteach it because you know what it means. And now I can learn to fly because I know what I learned in ground school. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? Sunday morning is ground school. When you leave here, flight school starts. I'm going to fly with the Holy Ghost. He says, remember when Pastor David talked about casting out devils? I remember the first devil I ever cast out. I was 21 years old. I'd read the book of Mark. 
and I in this Bible study. And this backslidden Christian who got in sin came to the Bible study. And I'm pretty big guy. I'm six foot two. And this guy was maybe like five foot nine. But he looked like one of those crazy people. He's in the Bible's like going, and I went, oh, at first I had a brand new Christian. You know, the most dangerous person for policemen to deal with are the people who don't care if they hurt themselves. It's all this guy, he'll he'll hurt me because he don't care about himself. And so I positioned my, my body to go away from this guy. And I heard the Lord say, cast it out like the book of Mark. Cast it out like the book of Mark. That was, I had a reference point. And this guy is growling in the Bible study, probably about 20 people there. I mean, like he's got, like he's got rabies. And I like to say, I was the Kevin Lill of the bold, like I am right now. Cut out in Jesus name. But here's my real voice. I was positioned to run. If this goes bad, I'm out of here. I was the starting gate. I'm looking back and I says, in Jesus' name, come out. And the guy stops, shakes, falls on the ground. And then I got, I said, come out of here. (laughs) But I had that reference point, cast it out like the book of Mark. But when you're around mentors, somebody will say, I'm sick. And you'll hear this voice of your father. Pray for him like Pastor Brian. There'll be somebody that doesn't understand anything about the gospel. And they'll say, talk to him like Pastor Dennis talks to you. Somebody say, Holy Ghost reference points. And so the spirit of God is hovering. Man, I feel him right now. I feel the spirit of God hovering over this building. Saying, I'm coming to visit you. But I got to have something to work with. You know, many times you'll see me say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to count the three. Why do I say I'm going to count the three? Because if I don't build expectation in the people that they're going to receive something, many times they just stand there with their receiver off. I don't have to count the three, but I do it. But the people who've hung around me, a lot of times they'll say, I'm going to count the three. Had a guy that, (laughs) pastor, pastor, uh, A friend of mine, he was uh, doing the same thing. He says, Kevin, man, that number three stuff works. (laughs) No, it's not the count the three. It's that you create expectation and a reference point. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? And so if you're around supernatural people, you begin to recognize that it works. And so when you first start doing it, you do it like your mentors. It's kind of, I'm imitating them. Nothing wrong. God knows that. And then you'll, you'll catch and get your own style. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Somebody say, the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. Now look at your neighbor and say, God doesn't want you to be good. Come on, say, God doesn't want you to be good. 
Now I'm diverting my message and I'm going to get some practical teaching from a story that most of you know about. We're going to talk about the prodigal son. How many know the story of the prodigal son? How many read the story of the prodigal son? You know, why I'm using a story because many of you have a reference point. I'm using something that you already are familiar with to teach you a spiritual truth. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. Now, Jesus used this parable, a natural parable to explain a spiritual truth. He's using a natural parable to explain a spiritual truth. And a certain man had two sons, and the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to him his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possession on prodigal living or living like an idiot. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed the swine. He would have get, gladly filled his stomach with the paws of the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father's house. I will say in him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. Then he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a far great way away, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his son, bring him the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, on his hands, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For the son, my son who was dead, is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and, and asked what does this thing mean? He said, your brother has come, and because he had received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fighting clap. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make marry my friends. But as soon as the son of yours comes, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother who was dead is alive and was lost and found. Somebody say, my three sons. Come on, say, my three sons. The first son was evil. Remember the tree, the knowledge of good and evil? He was the evil son, took the money, prostitutes, drugs. You can imagine what kind of debauchery he did. If you're in some kind of drug rehab thing and you hear my voice, you are that prodigal son. You took your gift, you took your intelligence, you took your looks, and you went just like the prodigal son into prodigal living. But know this, you prodigals, God will cause a famine to come to your life. If you won't listen to revelation, God will put you in a situation. 
But then the son said he came to himself. It's like, wow. He realized how distant he was from reality. And what did he say? I've sinned against heaven. I've broken your commandments, God. See, before you can sin on earth, you got to sin in heaven. Before you can sin on earth, I got to sin against heaven. I tell myself something is not true. And he's with the pigs. Listen to me, some of you people. Next time you do some social stuff, look around who you with. Are you with disciples or pigs? What do they celebrate? What is their treasure? Are they getting drunk on you? Are they high on you? Are they pursuing activities that are not kingdom disciple activities? I pray right now that when you get in your social settings, that you look around and God will let you see the pigs that are around you and say, you're, this is what you're like. You may not be all the way there. That's one of the ways I got saved. I, got, I began to look at the guys I was running with. We were smoking weed and so on and so forth. And God says, I said, man, that guy's messed up. God said, you're judging him, but you're the same. You're not quite as bad yet. I was with pigs. Come on, raise your hand. Say, Holy Spirit. Give me a revelation of the pigs in my life. This is going to be a hard one. Say, Holy Spirit, give me a revelation of the Christian pigs in my life. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. They're Christian pigs. Their attitude is nothing like Jesus's as a disciple. Now watch. The prodigal comes home, the father re-identifies him, ushers him back. Now he's got to have some recovery. He smelled like a pig, looked emaciated. But how did the older brother act? Remember, what's the two names of the fruit of the tree of death? The knowledge of evil and the knowledge of good. So what did the prodigal son? Daddy, I'm sorry. I did it. He was received. This church, this church has people that are here now and some that are left that had the older brother syndrome. But what did he say? I've never violated the principle, but I don't have the same spirit as my father. I've never done anything bad. I'm good, 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 good. Kept all the rules. Rules can't restore you. Only relationships can. Rules cannot restore you. Only relationships can. And the brother would not help and celebrate his younger brother. He said, you know, you're back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-mentor you. I'm going to train you. He was so offended out of his goodness that he could not be spiritual. I want you to raise your hand and say, Holy Spirit. Do I have an older brother attitude? Do I have an older sister attitude? How do I treat those that are prodigals in my midst? Now listen to me very carefully. This is a big deal with God. This is a big deal with God. I remember years ago I made a vow for the kingdom. I open doors for people who won't open doors for me. 
I bless people with things that they wouldn't bless me with. You know why? It's good for the kingdom. Somebody say it's good for the kingdom. It advances Christianity. It's good for the kingdom. Now, the Spirit of God is here today. That he's about to do something unique inside of you. He's about to put those divine reference points. Whatever you're calling, whatever you're gifting, go find somebody more advanced that's actually doing the work, not just knows the principles they're doing the work. Go spend time with them and just watch them. You see, the kingdom of God is first caught, then taught. It's too spiritual. You got to catch it. I want to be like some of you that like healing. Go get a passport. Go get some money. And so, Pastor Brian, can I just carry your bags and go with you to one of them nations? And just watch him. Why? You're going to catch it. And you're going to get those reference points inside of you. And you'll come back here and all of a sudden the Spirit of God said, do it just like Brian did. How many of the story of Elijah and Elisha? When Elijah gets caught up in the chariot, he drops his mantle, which is like a poncho. It's like a, a, there was no power in a mantle. The power was in the remembrances of what Elijah did. So he rolls up the mantle and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he hits it and they go over on dry ground. Well, that principle works today. Where is the God of Pastor David? I'm going to. Where is the God of Evangelist Brian? Where is the God of Prophet Kevin? Where is the God of you see what they did and you roll that principle up and the spirit of God has a reference point to cause you to extend and do signs and wonders and miracles. You know, it's amazing when Elijah is caught up in the chariot. Elisha didn't say, my pastor, my pastor, my prophet, my prophet. He says, my father, my father. That means he had to be a son, father relationship. I got a bunch of stuff to preach, but the Lord says, you're done. I want the worship team to come. Wow. How many just feel something in this building? How many had this hunger to get reference points? You know, years ago, I was in Bible school in 1979. And there was a guy there. And they brought us a guest speaker. Man, that guy had an anointing. Of the presence of God. I'm 27 years old. And this guy would go stand by people in the church meeting and you could feel the power of God just coming off of like a pot belly stove. And he would just move his hand and a whole row of people would fall down. It was legitimate. And I leaned forward. I said, Jesus, I want you to use me like that. I want to, I want to have something like that. And I heard the Lord do this. Son, I want to use you. You just don't know me good enough yet. I hear that same thing over this church. <sighs> I want to use you like that. You just don't know enough scriptures yet. You just haven't had enough experience yet. Today, God is saying, 
I want to make you my disciple. I want to be a kingdom disciple. Come on, just raise your hands. Not, not just to raise your hands in a church service. Raise them to the Lord who makes disciples. Come on, just keep that, keep that music flow. Just raise up just a little bit. Father, you see the condition of the hearts of the men and women in this building. You know the reference points they have they don't have. And your frustration, I want to say this, I just can't. You don't know this scripture. You don't know this reference. But today I hunger for righteousness. I hunger and thirst to know my Bible. God put reference points inside of me so that when you move upon me, I can work with you. I can work with you.